Hey everybody, this is Eddie Dacius. We here with uh, a special guest. Uh, we always have beautiful, great guests. Uh, people who can tell us about their journey. Um, her name is Dennis Grant, and she will take the time and take us to that journey of hers, and we will have a blast. Uh, um, we have our sponsor, so we have um, Dacius for C Management. They manage. Um, they will manage your property yeah. with a variety of services call them now 617-237-0106 or go online 617-237-06 or www.sysfm.com do you want to maximize the value of your commercial property and achieve optimal productivity and efficiency in your day-to-day business operations that's where Dacius Facilities Management can help. DFM offers Boston area businesses help in key areas like building and preventive maintenance, handyman services, project and vendor management, and even security consulting at competitive rates. Call Dacius Facilities Management now at 617-237-0106 or visit DaciusFM.com today. Yes, um, that's his, uh, FM. That's his facility management, 617-237-0106. Like we said, we have a wonderful guest. Her name is Dennis Grant. Dennis, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, like I said, uh, this is a pleasure for us to have you, and we're going to start the show. Um, this is um, Divine Purpose Podcast with Dennis Grant. Welcome to the Divine Purpose Podcast, where we transport you along one of the more dynamic journeys of life. Have you ever been curious to know what it takes to become a successful leader or about knowing the secrets of life through the Bible? How about engaging in conversation where no topics are off limits? We will take you to new levels with guests who can help you grasp the importance of your calling. Now, here's your host, Eddie Dacius, founder of Dacius Facilities Management. Yes, um, we have a great guest today, and her name is Dennis Grant. So, Dennis, this is um, Divine Purpose Podcast. We're glad to have you today. And the first question for you will be, what can you tell us about you today? Well, pretty much um, by day, I have a day job. I'm a public servant. I work with the government. Okay. And it was through my experiences working with the government that sort of led me onto the path of finding my purpose. Mm. For a long time, I didn't know what that purpose was. So I actually experienced, um, I, I was promoted at one point on my job. Then about six months, after being successfully working in the prison for six months, I was demoted. Wow. So, uh, I, yeah, so you can imagine, I was doing a good job, didn't make it. And it turns out they asked me to train my successor. So that was really humiliating because everybody in the office could see me training my successor for a week. I thought, mm. I'm incompetent. Why am I here training somebody if I don't know what I'm doing? Nevertheless, I stepped it up and I did it. So that really has been a life-changing experience for me. I've been wow. in the profession for over 25 years. Okay. And law is my passion. And, um, you know... That's where I am today, going after my passion. I discovered my passion grows beyond law. <laughs> <laughs> wow, and thank you for sharing. That's fantastic to hear. But um, I, I know you're going to have some more time to dive deep into this. But the way we like to go is to help you to get loose because this is like a great conversation. Let's go to your upbringing. And if you want, if you kind to tell us what was it like growing up and who was around, who was your role models what was your dream job I know I, I asked you like maybe four or three questions already but it's just tell us uh, how was it for you growing up that's a really good question because growing up for me was really a mixed bag on the one hand I, I, I had a father who was very successful he was a lawyer attorney general the deputy prime minister at one point so I had exposure to, to the privileged lifestyle on the one hand where I'm from in St. Vincent. Okay. But my mother immigrated to Canada and 
I, I, I immigrated with, with her after a few years of her coming up here at, before me. And so as I traveled back and forth over the years to visit my, my dad back home and other family, I was torn because there I lived a privileged lifestyle. Mm. And in Canada, I lived more on the impoverished side, definitely the, the opposite. So I grew up struggling with my identity. I didn't really fit in with the wealthy when I came to Canada. Yeah. When I went to, to St. Vincent, I didn't fit in either with the privilege. So I always felt out, out of source pretty much. Wow, and and this is um, we I can relate to that because um, like I said, if you follow us, we had a guest and she's from Africa and she said it's like for her uh, identity crisis because she couldn't see where she fit, you know. So she's from Africa and but at the end of the day, she acts different from a black American or somebody else is that something you that relate to you is that the the identity identity crisis you experience for me it, it was it, it was similar because on the one hand my father was a very successful lawyer okay and and, and, and politician but when it, and he, he was very very outstanding academically as well yeah but for me when I tried to go to law school I failed the law school admissions test three times. Mm. So the academics didn't come as easily for me as it appeared to him. Okay. Right? So I, I struggle in that area. And then when I try to achieve my own success, he kind of, you know, mirror that successful lifestyle. Yeah. I, was, I was always sat down, failing, not achieving, you know, not having the proper support or guidance around me. So I was left kind of lost. So uh, on that point, can you can you share with, share with us like uh, what are the three most challenging events in your life and how do they challenge you? I, I feel like you're probably going to mention this might be a challenge, but can you tell us what are the three challenges you can summarize looking at back, looking back at your life, say, oh, those are the things that kind of challenge me, but we would like to hear from it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, number one is definitely the the academics, right? To to get into law school and to go down the path of a lawyer, it's very academic focused. It requires a lot of you know research and know how, which I didn't appear to have. Even in the early years of leaving high school, I knew that to be a lawyer, you had to love to read. Well, in high school, I didn't like to read. Yeah, so that was my first challenge right there. I said, "How can I be interested in, in in this area?" And I don't like to read, so you know I had to deal with all that. So my profile, my behavior, what I was used to, just didn't fit this goal that I had. So that's one. A third one, a, a second one would be when I was around twenty nine. I was I was diagnosed with um, cancer, and I went through cancer treatment. Okay. So that was very challenging. Sorry to hear that. Thank you. But I survived it by the grace of God. And I didn't just survive it, actually. It really transformed my shift in my priority in mm -hmm. life. I certainly, that's where I got my do it today kind of mentality. Don't put wow. it off to tomorrow. Because mm. I realized how valuable time is. And there was a period when I was going through the treatment when I got so low and all the family members came to see me thinking that this was it. Wow. But thank God I'm still here. So that's why I'm like, you know, if I have something to say, I'm going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you have a lot to say. So I know we're going to get to your book. So don't worry. We're going to get to the book. And this is, and I think this is a great book. Um, but um, let, let's talk about, which of your accomplishment you you are the proudest? Let's hear this. Which of the or your accomplishment you feel like that's it? That yeah, that's that's something I will put on my shelf. Definitely, what I'm doing now, which mm. is um, going from a, a public servant yeah. to now a transformational coach and, and you know a grassroots and systems level change agent. My mission has now become. Um, pretty much empowering individuals who feel that they're victimized or struggling, just can't seem to get ahead. Yes. To help them transform their life from being a victim to now a champion for change. So I think my book and the new service that I'm now offering that goes along with the book 
in terms of sharing my story of how I transformed my own life from being a victim of systemic racism to now a champion for change. So I am on the other side of racism and I want to help others get there too. And w- one thing I, I I will say in looking at your um, biography, you said, mid- so this is a, you are a public servant and you're a transformational coach, grassroots and system level change agent and leadership and public speaking coach. And in her book, she has a book, Rising Above the Discomfort of Difficult Conversation. And you share 21 lessons that you learn and apply to transform on your own life and victim systematic racism to now champion for change. So let's dive into this because I feel like this is, I cannot, I shouldn't hold you that much (laughs) to really talk about your passion, your purpose. Let's dive um, deep into it. Can, how did all started? Let's get there and then. Absolutely. So it's from high school. I've always wanted, I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to get my law degree. That's the only interest I ever really had growing up was in law. Okay. And so with that dream, I set out to, you know, go into law school. And as I mentioned, I was not successful at all. So if that's my only passion, my only interest, I, I, I tried, son, um, I got into university for women's studies, but I just didn't have it to stick with that either because I just didn't have the interest or what have you. So that didn't work out. All I saw was just law school was it. I guess I didn't, I didn't have any guidance to tell me, you know, take your time, take one step at a time and do the undergraduate, whatever the story was. I just didn't, did not have that guidance. Anyhow, so with that in mind, I kept going after, I want the law school, I want the law school. And so after going through all of them, I'm going through, you know, having children and family and everything. I finally got the opportunity where I can go to school, didn't have to worry about writing the entrance exam. And I can do it online. That allowed me the flexibility to still maintain my job and responsibilities. So I ventured on doing that for the past uh, six years. So, but when did, when did this become serious? When I talk like, because we're talking about your book now, when that, because um, taboo topic right now where people don't want to hear that and people, like you said, your title, it's a different, a discomfort of difficulty conversation. So when, because where I'm at in terms of your book and why I think it's going to relate to our audience is because at some point in our life, we are a victim of racism. And most of the time we can't talk about it. So how did you get embrace that courage, uh, the purpose and into to triumph this and then get the book out. Right, absolutely. Well, the experience that gave me the eye opener that I was a victim and I, I was the only one who can dig myself out of the hole that I found myself in was when I got demoted. Yeah. I was humiliated and I tried to, and my, my, my colleagues tried to go to, to the executives on my behalf to say it was unfair, but it wasn't effective. So I, I had to go to speak to the management myself. And when, when I got there, he was saying a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't relevant to my issue. I said to him, ask me one question. If you discovered there was any error done in this process, would you reverse the decision? And he said, no. I said, thank you. That's all I needed to know. And I left his office and I said, Denise, you're not coming back in this position again. You are going to dig yourself out of this hole. The opportunity came. I applied to law school and I got in. So that was me flipping the, the switch of sitting on waiting for somebody to come and rescue me. Mm. No more waiting on that. Then I got into law school. That was a six-year journey. And so by 2020, when COVID hit, yes. George Floyd, George Floyd was my turning point. Wow. When George Floyd's situation happened, I saw a memo came out from top management saying that actually acknowledging that systemic racism existed in the organization. 
I was so impressed because up until this point, I wasn't sure because nobody was really saying it. Yeah. Because it was supposed to be an equal opportunity place. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my trigger. I said, wait a minute, that's all she's going to do is acknowledge it. That's it? Mm. So that got a righteous anger in me. I mobilized a group of colleagues and authored a letter to the head of our management yeah. <laughs> saying, this isn't good enough. And I brought to their attention the lack of career advancements for black public servants and other racialized members. And I've been pretty much leading these group of colleagues up to this day. Okay. They're going to management, challenging them on their lack of commitment and change in this area. So, and wow, this is fantastic. <laughs> That's one thing I like with, with, with our podcast is we start a conversation and then you take us like to different areas. Now we, 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 we are deep into racism. So let, let's, let's, let's be, let's be honest. So I think at, some point everybody has to be who they like accept who they are and then be vocal for things that need to be changed so my question would be how can you advocate for your right when they label you as somebody violent like oh you are too defensive let me ask this question this way because I, I I was a victim of it recently, and like I'm I'm just today standing up for myself and trying to explain, and they say, "Oh no, you're being too violent. Oh, you you're too defensive." I say, well, "What's going on? I was attacked, so I need to make sure I." So uh, let me have you take the the, the stage. You the pro. How <laughs> can you help me on that? Well, let me tell you, let's first look at the agenda of racism itself. Mm. The agenda of racism is to cause the other person, its victim, to doubt themselves. Wow. When you create doubt within a person, you got them. They have no confidence. So right Mm. there, by him automatically pointing out your natural human reaction anger, upset, disappointment, frustration, he puts it on you as if you're the problem. You see how he just shifted it right there? Yeah. And because we are so used to being in that condition and we don't want to be singled out again, it just targets our low self-esteem associated with this sensitive area that nobody talks about. And that is how racism gets us, keeping the silence Keeping the myths. Wow. Mm. It's so important to speak out. But guess what? The secret, what I discovered is, in order to get to a place where you can properly confront these people, the oppressors, you must self-improve. You must build up your internal strength. Mm-hmm. Because when they come at you, you'll be ready to stand firm. <laughs> I have um, I have a great example about this. So I'm a coach. I coach soccer, and a few years back there was an incident where I had as a so- as a soccer coach. I'm very strict, and if we started practice and people don't show up, we have a game. I'm gonna focus on the the ones who who have been come into practice and then know what we're trying to get um, in terms of our strategic for the game or game plan. And they, they were two brothers. They had, uh, unfortunately, they they had a, a loss in the family. They were devastated um, about the loss where that person was very close to them. I didn't know it, but when they show up to practice, I say, you guys, you're going to have to catch up with everything we've been doing and for some reason they get upset in the game before the game one of them won like a five miles marathon but i said you have a game why would you be wanting five because he got a cramp during the game and then he got upset he left the team 
And then after the game, the dad came and then trying to confront me where like I did something wrong. And I I, I agree with you when you said, yes, um, you need to work on yourself, build up your strength and confidence. So I stood up because he... You know, sometimes they say you have that breathing space. Somebody shouldn't be close to you. He was right there, but he was expecting me to back back up. But I stood stall, and then I talked to him. And then that's when he he retracted mm. to relate to what you were saying about the secret. So, so unfortunately, this situation got me to not fired but not renew my contract they didn't tell me but i know that was about it mm-hmm. so how can we navigate in a in a world of society where those things are constantly happening and we we cannot say it's how we cannot that's my right to to stood up for my what i believe and but it's like it's not welcome when we when we don't want that type of treatment right but see here's the the thing we live in a world where these things are acceptable we live in a world where the organization that you were dealing with there they they support the behavior of not renewing your contract but leaving everybody else right because you spoke out yeah so with that in mind though because that's the culture. Mm. To be honest, I have now made it my life's mission to change that culture. Yeah. And how that happens is we don't talk to the parent on the field per se. And this is not you because you, you had to confront that incident. But I'm yeah. saying in order to be able to last and change is that we need to go to the top management. Give me the one who makes the decision. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny because I have been asked, oh, you know, speak to so-and-so on this level. I said, no, give me the top. Wow. One of the strategies of the, the systemic barriers is the layers of management that they hide behind. So whenever they try to offer me somebody lower down, I said, no, I want you. And I call them by name. Hmm. So, so that's where change needs to come from. Wow. But but even in your experience, you do need to confront it in the moment right where you are. Yeah. But if we're, if we're going to really change the system now, take it to the top. Yeah. Nobody else in between will do. And that's my motto. I want to uh, give me the big guy. Otherwise, don't give me nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have on the screen your 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 book. So uh, we uh, encourage everybody to get that book because if you if you really wanna know how to be successful in terms of um, standing up for yourself, so I won't really talk more about it because. We have Denise Grant. <laughs> she's she's here to talk about the book. And my question for you before you dive uh, more into your book and what's the purpose, who, who are the target um, audience for this book? Where do you see the change? Because I see diversity. I see equity, inclusion. That's a title. Like, that's the title now. I see it everywhere. I'm not saying it's, but I feel like people, I I don't know. Tell tell me about this. It's like that's a trend now. Yes, it is a trend. You know, equity, we want to be treated, you know, like our peers and our our colleagues. But I think we got to be so careful about the word equity. Because it implies that we are to be treated fairly. Mm-hmm. The danger I have with such an implication is that it may convince us black people that we are to rely on somebody else to treat us fairly. Ooh. And that is a lie. Wow, wow, you rely wow. on nobody to treat you fairly. Let's rewind, let's rewind. Please say it again. Say it again, please. No, equity, it implies that we are 
and deserve to be treated fairly because we're doing equal work or whatever it is that we feel that we're entitled to. Mm. But that is a lie. Why, while it would be nice, while you can ask for it, do not sit and wait for anybody to treat you fairly or give you what you think that you deserve. It's your job to go get what you want. Nobody's going to give it to you. Wow. So, <laughs> all right, we, we we have to take a quick break because uh, let's let's get to. So we had Dennis Grant. She's the author of Racism um, Rising Above the Discomfort of Difficult Conversation, and I think this is a great book. Um, let's go to break because I feel like we really need more time to talk about it with um, Dennis. So let's get back with um, our break now. What comes before making a smart decision? Choices. A smart choice is the best option, which is who we are. That's why our clients expect more from us and in turn, get more in everything we do. We understand the problem. That's why we thrive for excellence. We don't just create a winning culture. We aspire to be a smart choice, a voice for solutions. We believe in integrity, professionalism, and teamwork. Our passion is to bring results for our clients by working harder, smarter, and faster. As a team, we always deliver because we recognize your needs. Choosing smart influences us to be the best version of ourselves. That makes us different than other companies. It makes us confident in achieving our goals. It makes us who we are. And it makes us DFM, the smart choice. Yes, DFM, the smart choice. Uh, call them now, 617-237-0106 or go online, www.fm.com. So like we promised, we have Denise Grant back with us. And the question for her is, when did you realize that was um, racism was something that's need to change because we have people fighting for racism for a long time but when did you realize for yourself that something you have to stood up for when i was in against when i was in the organization working hard every day when i put my heart to something i give it a hundred percent when i applied for positions i didn't get I, i wasn't successful but part of it is, I didn't know what I wanted. Honestly, I wanted to be a lawyer. There wasn't anything any, in, anything in between for me. So mm. part of that, the responsibility is on me because I didn't know what I really wanted. And I did. I had mentors in the organization to try to you know, help me work through that. But still, law degree was all I came up with. So hence, I, I continued to pursue that part-time while in the organization. It got to a point where I stopped applying for, for, for job because I'm thinking, I'm just frustrated myself because I was getting nowhere. Yeah. So even when I had the referrals from the mentor, I still came up zero. Mm. So always been slapped down. So I just felt so beaten up, emotionally drained. Yeah. And I work for lawyers and lawyers are, God bless them. <laughs> but there's a hierarchy in, in the legal profession. Yeah. So being an, a staff, like an administrative staff, you are not the yeah, top. You're, of, you're, you're just not top of the food chain. So dealing with the microaggressions, which is the modern form mm. of racism, it's not the violence that we see on the street that that much these days. Yeah. It's in the office in the quiet, and microaggressions are strong enough to only single me out, but subtle enough to make me doubt me. So you say microaggression? That's the new form of racism. Yeah, that's what it looks like now. Uh, we have to keep it for hot topic. <laughs> We're gonna come back with this with hot topic. But let's let's ask. You, let me ask you this question: What is one thing you wish you knew before you started this great career of yours? Uh, well, I definitely wish I had started it earlier. 
But the trouble is, I didn't have the experience to start it earlier. <laughs> you know, so while we are pursuing whatever it is that we want to go after, yes. while, even if we're not pursuing it because we think I'm not qualified, I'm not going to make it, whatever, mm. you know, whatever yeah. we tell ourselves, what I wish I had known before is just do it. Whatever is in your heart, whatever dream, thoughts, something you wish you could do, yeah. Do it. Do uh, it. So, and you, you probably know that too. I don't know if it's tied to racism or microaggression. Um, people, f- they are, some people are not diagnosed with it, but it's like the imposter syndrome, right? Where you feel like you don't belong. You feel like you're not there. So, this question, this is a question I started to ask uh, my guest lately. You said, when did you realize or when did you know, oh, this is Dennis? Like, you know fully, oh, this is you, and then you're capable to do your job without any doubt, and you, you're confident. When did you have, like, when, when was the time you said, oh, this is me now? You know, to be honest, it, it, it was in the journey I'm putting my story in print mm. to help me to find myself. Because up to that point, I felt like a ball of yarn like this emotionally. Yeah. And that's what racism does to you. With all the trauma that you have in your childhood, with all the trauma that you accumulated as an adult, mm. and then you have the current mental game that racism plays on you. So I could distinguish my emotions really and truly. So I was typically called the angry black woman then. (laughs) Oh, sorry to, I'm sorry if I'm laughing. It's just, that's you. And, and, and they call me that lately, lately too. Like, I'm like, it feel like I'm always angry. No, that's not it. But anyways, so what one piece of advice you'll give somebody who's studying the career now? Be committed to self-improvement all the way. Do not get comfortable when you're riding on your high. Mm. Do not set in when you're riding on your low. Hmm. Continue to grow wherever you are, up or down. Keep growing. Why, why do you think this is important? Because what happens is we become comfortable. And when you yeah. become comfortable, you miss the signs that you've been here too long. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I have a guest who, st- who told me if you, if you, if you had a job and you don't see any light on the tunnel, it's, it's like, it's time to move on. Is that what you're saying? No, no. For me, it was key for me to stay. Okay. It isn't always a good idea to leave. If you're going to leave, you best confront it before you leave, because otherwise you, you're going to take that problem with you wherever you go. So the best uh, the best way to deal with it is to confront it and to work on yourself. Right. But but you may not be ready to confront it. Maybe you work on yourself first. Mm. The danger we run into is that when we hit a problem, when we hit a racism or, or, or any kind of obstacle, we tend to say, Oh, the manager is this, the manager is that, and she's this, and she. We, we tend to blame other people. Yeah. But that's never a good approach. If you're in a situation, own your contribution to, to that problem. Okay. And when you own your contribution to the problem, if, if they're saying that maybe you're, you're always late and, and you're feeling singled out, then, you know, maybe check yourself. Are you always late? If you're not always late, then... You know, then you need to go to that person and say, I'm not sure you have the right person because I'm not always late. Mm. So it's, it is important to, to call them out in the moment because that that does not allow the experience to get lodged in your emotional memory in a negative way. And and I think you probably mentioned it when you said um, when you talk about secrets. So I will I will I'll ask that question again, if I did. But what is the most important lesson you have learned so far? Definitely, I would say that would be 
take responsibility for yourself mm. and for your life and for, for your experiences. Because if you don't like what you're getting, change what you're giving. <laughs> so, and I will follow up with this question. What do people misunderstand most about you? I think they, they may take my kindness for weakness. Wow. <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> well, because I tend to be... It, 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 it's kind of hard to kind of think of myself. Traditionally, I'm more... The, can we all just get along? Now... If you cross me, I'm going to correct you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I used to say, I don't take my courtesy for weakness, but I think it's the same thing because yeah. um, I grew up in Haiti. We, we try, um, they, they, we were, we were raised to respect people, everybody, you know, in our most, um, best you can but I feel like here because you polite before be, you know they think you're weak because this is a society where people brag about themselves um, I, 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 I was always with this uh, motto where saying the, um, the power is a calm force it's not something you have to always into in front of people but here if you if I, oh i'm the best i'm the best if i don't say that i don't get the job so i don't know if you can relate to that in terms of um why people might feel like this is a weakness because if you want to wait your time but you that's something you you telling differently now too you said don't wait people for people to give you what you deserve Right. Well, part of the problem with the racism piece is that we have become accustomed and rely on our paycheck. Yeah. There's our problem right there. Because we fear if we speak out, we're going to lose our job. Mm -hmm. We fear we'll be blacklisted. We fear people are going to judge us. So our behavior becomes based on fear rather than being true to who we are. And yeah. that was me. I was making my decision because, you know, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to cause any, you know, discomfort to anybody. Yeah, yeah. And that's how, that, that's what got me into the victim mentality. And as long as you're willing to give, quite frankly, people are willing to take. Mm. It's not until you say, no, enough is enough. What do you bring to the table? Mm. <laughs> At some point, wow. you do need to flip the switch. But don't do it prematurely because you may not be ready for it if you haven't done the internal growth part. Wow. So let, let, let's let's switch to hot topic because I feel like you. <laughs> it's time for us to dive into of like your book and then talking about um, subject people don't like. I said the difficult the difficult conversation. That's a hot topic for us now. So we have Dennis with us today. Dennis Grant, um, she's the author of Racism, Raising, Rising Above the Discomfort of Difficult Conversation. So let's talk about microaggression because you said that's a new form of racism. Let's talk about it. Right. So microaggression is when you do subtle things to single someone out, but it's not that obvious. So you may say something like, where, where are you from? And then they'll say, you know, I'm from, you know, some nearby city. And they say, no, where are you really, really? from? Wow. <laughs> because they want to know the Caribbean roots or the African roots or whatever yeah. roots, right? Yeah. So in other words, I know you're not from here, which is and a lot of people these days are born in Canada. They're, you know, they're born in wherever they are. Yeah. So everyone is not immigrant who has a darker skin. So that's a subtlety. And so when somebody asks you that question, you you kind of leave the conversation feeling like uncomfortable, but you can't really name it. But yeah. you're a little off. 
Mm. <laughs> That's the subtlety of it. Oh, wow. And wow. when you get that over and over and over, and a, a good example I had as well was a lawyer I worked with. You know, these days we, we only communicate by email, right? Yeah. And you know, she would not use my name in the email. Hmm. Email me, say what she wants to do, but wouldn't use my name. Like, wow. hello. So yeah, that played on my psyche for a long time. And even, and I actually confronted it. I told management, I don't want to work for her no more. And um, I ended up in a meeting with three managers and me alone with my file, trying to prove my case of why I'm saying this woman is targeting me. So it was very uncomfortable because how do you attack somebody's character about these small things? Wow. Wow. But I did it. And I can tell you, I broke down in tears. But you know what? I stayed. I finished the conversation. And that's the other piece. Don't worry if you show up in tears. Don't worry if you show up a, a little bit frustrated. Just show up. Yes, um, I think. <laughs> wow, I think this this podcast should be for me alone because <laughs> everything you're saying is like basically what I've been. Uh, I just experienced um, maybe two months ago. So the the situation is simple, and like I said, um, outside of soccer, I'm a locksmith instructor, and then I'm also manage my own business. So this is Dasi's Fussy Management. This is my business. We we do we we do property management, facility management. So the soccer side is seasonal. So it's like from September to November. So I do it for private school. And the situation happened where I had a goalie. I don't know the situation for him was, but the way he was going wasn't the proper way. And I tried to correct him and he wouldn't believe, he wouldn't listen. And obviously we were losing some game because of his attitude, the way he, he approached the game. And I told him I'm probably going to look for somebody else to be the goalie. And he broke down in tears and one thing I know, three parents email. I didn't. I never saw the email. And then I talked to him before he sent the email. So I talked to him. I said, "All right, let's work on these things, and then we should be better in terms of your performance, and then the way you need to be as a goalie." But he sent the email anyway. But I wasn't bothered about the email. But the the varsity head coach came to practice and then he confronted me saying he's hearing bad thing about me. I said, I don't understand. Only one incident happened. Somebody didn't like what I said in terms of how you need to be as a goalie. And I think if I'm the coach, I need to make those decisions. And he said, no, you shouldn't. You can't make those decisions. I said, whoa, what's going on? I'm the head coach for the JV team. You cannot tell me how to run the system. And you already give me the policy, the way things need to be worked out. And going to the microaggression, he was doing it in terms of a way I couldn't prove he was a racist. He was a racist. So we, we finished the season. And then somebody else, a uh, uh, mother of uh, one of the guys I, I coach, I don't know if you know this soccer player, Tuan Linium, is a French national soccer player. He was in Boston. And then they sent me an invitation, an invitation through him because that person didn't have my email. And... He waited because when I got the invitation, the ticket was sold out. And then when I saw the email, he had it a day before, two days before. Hmm. So I usually, after soccer, I, I coach basketball too. I was blacklisted. They didn't give me the basketball opportunity so is that racism or am i overreacting 
I wouldn't say it's overreacting because you were there in that moment. I would say trust your judgment. Yeah, I think it's racism. Yeah, if you feel that you were treated differently than someone else would, and on top of that, you're not even given a a fair opportunity to defend yourself or to even have a say. And when I was defending myself, he was the one to tell me, oh, you're being aggressive. Right. So in other words, he's deferring it back to you (laughs) rather than owning, yeah. So that's, that's the reality where... They have the, this website, they have on their website, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and then they are the one doing those things. And that's where the trap is, you know, because when they tell you we are equal opportunity, we are fair, and then they underhandedly sabotage you down here, there's your recipe for the self-doubt. Because on the one hand, your your belief system is that anyone who says that they're equal opportunity, you you trust that. Yeah. That's your belief. They got you hooked based on that. And then by the time you start the organization, you may not hit these walls and these barriers to maybe six months, a year, two years, three years down the road. Then you start to see the double standard. But you've had the belief system since you started. Yeah. You see how it, 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 it gets you from one side to the other. That's the subtlety of it. First, they get you to believe we're for you. You can trust us. And then they sabotage you through the back door. Yeah. So like I said, this was a seasonal opportunity. I wouldn't dwell on it in terms of this is or something I need. Like I said, um, I'm a licensed soccer coach. Anywhere there's an opportunity I can work, I'll work. But it's just to make sure, like, this can go on far where they send me an invitation. My name was on it. But because of this incident prior, you blacklisted me and then, like, get me to not get there. You know? So that's where, like those small things can become like a big, a big, a big issue. How yeah. do you combat that? How do you battle this situation? You know, and that's how they get us because when you get piles and piles of those black listing, right? Over time, you do start to react in the frustration if you're not careful. Yeah. Self-improvement is one thing. The other piece of it, when you experience what you experience there, it's important that you journal it. Yeah. Get it, get it out of you. Mm, that's what Write I mean. it down. Yeah, don't let it settle. And the other nah. thing is, do not go and repeat that negative experience with five, six, seven, eight different people. Yeah. Because every time you repeat that negative experience, mm. you seal it deeper into your emotions. So what I've done, when I had these incidents in the workplace, I had a mentor in the office, God bless her, and I would go to her and tell her the situation. And she would give me a positive spin on it to help mm. me to expand my thinking to consider yeah. other opportunities or other ways of looking at it, which was key because it kept me from creating more trauma. So it's important that you, one, yes, talk about it, but talk about it with positive people well, Yes, who can help you take a positive spin on it. And when you're done, end on a positive note. For example, you know, I experienced that, but I'm not going to let it change me. Say something positive at the end, because if you kind of leave it open or leave it negative in your own mind, in your own conscience, then it can translate into trauma when more gets piled onto it. Yeah. So how we process each incident is important. So one, journal just to, to get it out of you. Also, speaking to someone positive about the incident, don't repeat it over and over with negative people. Yeah. And also self-care. You know, give yourself some extra TLC after experiencing something like that. You know, yeah. so you can just acknowledge that, you know what, this feels uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, it hurts. I feel rejected. I feel shame. 
Just yeah. Own it, own it, own it. No, no, definitely. And that's why uh, I'm glad that because this, uh, I usually get very busy on this time because I'm coaching, but I feel like this is a great opportunity for me to reset. And then for we, we too, because like you said, you need to work on yourself and then do the right thing because you have to keep a positive mind. Because that's like, that's a word, that's my next question. I feel like there is this rabbit hole or that people get into where they can't get out because they are victimized so many times. So what's the recuperation about this? How does someone get out who's in a rabbit hole? Yeah. And, you know, that's a really good question because I've certainly been there. And that's one of the reasons why I do what I do now. I do offer coaching because mm. it's very difficult to change our core belief. It's difficult to change when you've been beaten down. It's hard to do that change on your own. So, one, I would suggest if you can get a coach. Yeah. It's helpful because then yeah. they'll help you identify what are your goals and they'll help walk alongside you to, to help you get there. The other thing is, you know, read. Read yeah. self-improvement books. Yeah, that's 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 one thing I've been hearing now. Most of our guests telling um, our audience to go on self-improvement books. In that note, let's talk about your book. How can people get in touch and buy them? But it's available on Amazon, hard copy and electronic copy. And um, and there, it's also available on my website. I also okay. have a free gift um, for your guests on my website. It's www.riseoverrace.com. So they can download a free gift that I have there. And um, it's so, so important to know that you're not alone mm. when you are in the trenches. If you're frustrated, if you're angry, if you're sad, don't be ashamed of it. Those are feelings that we are allowed to have. Let's talk about the next generation, because uh, as we just mentioned, it took another form. You know, it was racism, and then I'm quoting you, it's microaggression, the new racism. How can we prepare the next generation? So I have kids. Um, how can we equip them to survive that new transformation or new transition of racism? Right. You know, given the, the name of your podcast about purpose, Yeah. The key to overcoming racism is finding your purpose. Mm. And here's the connection. Because your purpose is what you were created for. Yeah. Anything else that you do that you're not created for is a distraction to you. Wow. It's going to frustrate you. Hmm. And you're not gonna and you're not gonna finish what you started. Whereas if it's your purpose and your passion you will have the drive to push through whatever setback comes because it's in you to go after. So the the drive and the desire to pursue it would, would come more easily than if you're pursuing something that's not for you. It will become hard in that case. So when I actually made the transition from being a victim to now a champion, yes, it's about, I chose to change me. I stopped looking for my environment to change. Mm. I stopped looking to my manager to treat me differently before I can feel better about myself. I decided, you know what, I'm going to change me. So that's when I went back to school. That's when I showed up at my job. I did the best job I could. Yeah. I started talking to different people in the organization. I started behaving differently. I joined committees to be a part of change. I took on leadership roles that no one else wanted to touch those topics, like um, the hiring practices. Yeah. I was the only one on that committee, but I showed up and I did it anyways. So there's lots of little things that you can do to start to work on you 
that will help you take back your power. You must take back your power. And the other thing about when you have people advocating for racism and the employer often wants you to come as one voice. Do not come as one voice. Nobody Mm. can free you. Nobody Mm. can take back your power for you, but you. Yeah. So to me, if you have a hundred black people in the organization, you have to have a hundred voices. Because everybody has to take back their power individually. Nobody can do that for you. And it would be it would not be fair if we if I don't ask this question in terms of um where it feels like when somebody black or African and get to a job even the job description was one to five, but they expect seven, eight from you. Why is that? Well, we certainly live in a culture these days where we are being pressed more, we're being stressed more, more taxed. But I can say, don't leave the job just because it's hard. Because an easy job, if you're anything like me, I don't want an easy job either because then I get bored. So to me, it's about self-care. Yeah. If you're working hard, allow yourself, give yourself permission to play hard too. Take care of yourself. Make sure you get enough sleep, get some exercise, you know, increase healthier foods in your diet, eat more fruits, eat more vegetables. After yourself, drink more water. One thing that I started doing since my whole journey of self-care after my journey of transforming is first thing in the morning, I drink a glass of water. Yeah. And I wasn't getting in, in enough vegetables. So I in the morning is a glass of water and, and, and a salad. That's how I started my day. Okay. And to me, I'm taking care of me. Yeah. The simple little steps like that is about taking care of you when you're in a stressful job. Try to declutter your personal life schedule because you do need an income. Yes. So let's manage that properly. Do your best on the job. Communicate to your employer if you need help or yeah. if you need more time. Don't feel that you always have to fit into whatever they ask. Yeah. Ask for flexibility. Yeah. And what about those people who's using the like they try and I'm not saying they're not a victim, but they're using the racism to get things done for themselves. I'm talking black people, which like they're using racism in the, not, I'm not saying in a bad way, but they're using it to kind of promote their own agenda. Right. And that's because as I described earlier, they're just in the mindset that somebody's going to give it to them. Okay. It's the belief system that I'm entitled to this and I'm waiting for you to give it to me. Those individuals will forever be victimized. In order to get out from being a victim, you must become self-reliant. Nobody is going to give you what you want because you showed up in the office. You've got to earn it. (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's a belief system why they like that. And they're really sabotaging themselves. And it also means they, they most likely have given up on themselves. That's why they're looking for somebody else. Wow. A fantastic, great to hear. So we have Dennis Green today with us and she she talked about her book. Um please if you um go get this book, like I said, this is a great, great book in terms of um racism rising above the discomfort of difficult conversations. And she had 21 lessons for change. And um uh, we have Dennis with us today. Last word for you, Dennis. One thing about the book, I speak to both sides. I speak very candidly to the oppressor to let them know what they're responsible for yeah. and what they need to do in order to flip the switch. I also speak to those of us who identify as being oppressed. And I, and I, I share how and what you need to do in order to flip your own switch. Nobody's going to yeah. flip it for you. And when it comes to racism, we all have work to do. It's not for the oppressor alone. It's not for the victim alone. We didn't get here by ourselves, but we can certainly get ourselves out of it. 
And wow. there's nobody to blame for racism. Mm. Not blaming people. Nobody alive has got us where we are. This thing, we came and met it here. We're going to die and leave it here. Yeah. So stop looking for somebody to blame. Definitely. Racism, I think, is more, an, more of an it. It has wow. no lifespan. It goes way beyond us, right? Yeah. So let's take responsibility. All right. So well said, and we appreciate Dennis going today. And please go get the book. Um, this is Eddie Dasis with Divine Puppet Podcast. We have a great, great time with Dennis, and this is um, subject. And I think um, people will definitely have a great time listening to this podcast and to this episode, and then reach out to you with your book. Uh, Dennis, any um, any way people can get in touch with you or contact you? Yes, on my website, you, you, you can subscribe. I do send out uh, weekly emails. I do do coaching where you can get 30 minutes free consultation with me. Just uh, we can introduce ourselves. I can hear about what your goals are, where you're at and what you're experiencing. I would love to hear from you. So go to my website, www.riseoverrace.com, and you, you can get in touch with me there. Oh, that was Dennis uh, great with us uh, with um, Divine Purpose Podcast. Thank you guys for being here, and appreciate to see you guys soon. Thank you.